Alright. We'll do Mark chapter 5. We might do some of 6. I don't know. But last week, last week we did the battle of the mind. The difference between your spirit and your flesh. The spirit's what really accepts the things of God. So we're just going to read through 5 and then we'll we'll go back and look at some stuff in 5. So they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5. Constantly night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out in the, into the country or send them out of the country. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountains and the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter him. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2000 of them, and they all drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And then the people came out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they all became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. <laughs> 21. So when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him, saying earnestly, my little daughter has my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had had was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. But she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get healed. Immediately, the flow of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd that's pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? 
and he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any, any longer, only believe. And he allowed nobody to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw the commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translates, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up, began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So we got a lot in Mark chapter five. <coughs> Mainly you've got three stories. You've got the demoniac, the woman with the blood issue, and then Jairus's daughter, all in, in one chapter. And these are significant events in the life of Jesus. The demoniac, remember in chapter four, they got in the boat. And when they got in the boat, that's the point where Jesus was asleep and all the disciples came and asked him like, why are you sleeping? Don't you care that we're perishing? Well, before that, they were on land, dry land, and there was some stuff going on where there was a large crowd and Jesus told them, we're going to get in the boat and go to the other side. So before they even left dry land. Jesus knew what he was about to go do. He had a purpose for going to the other side. Now, I'd imagine he knew that the storm was going to come. Because on the Sea of Galilee, like, I, like we said before, it was prone to hurricanes and hard storms. And so there was a pretty good chance that a storm was going to come up. So Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples think they're dying. Jesus wakes up, tells the storm to be still. The storm is still. They're amazed. Then they get over to the other side. As soon as they get off the boat, they meet the demoniac. Now, this guy, I'd imagine, was absolutely crazy. They bound him with chains and shackles. He was cutting himself day and night, running around the graveyard and breaking chains and breaking shackles. That's a that's a tough dude. You know what I mean? That's he had no care about himself whatsoever. He didn't care about what happened to him, how it happened to him, anything. He was being tormented by three thousand demons. The legion is three thousand, and I, and you can get confused and say, well, there was only two thousand pigs, yeah. But multiple demons can get in one man. Multiple demons can get in multiple pigs. So. Legion technically is 3,000, a 3,000 Roman cohort. 
That's where the term comes from. So this guy had well over 3,000 demons in him. And so constantly day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So he had no control over the stuff that, that he was going through because there was, he was outnumbered. There was 3,000 of them, and they were all in the one man. But Jesus... Jesus knew what had to be done. Jesus knew that the man was so bound with demons and, and demonic activity that there was no way that he would make it without his help. Because there are some places in the Bible or in, in the Gospels where Jesus said, your faith has made you well. This is not one of those episodes. This man had no opportunity to have faith because he was oppressed to the point where he was literally cutting himself. And so Jesus steps in and intervenes. And what I think is amazing is that he was asking them, what is your name? And they said to him, Legion, for we are many. <laughs> but more importantly than the name, and the whole, the whole issue that's going on here is that in verse 12, the demons asked him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. The demons asked permission from Jesus. 3,000 demons had to ask permission from Jesus. And then Jesus in verse 13, it says, Jesus gave them permission. So the demons made a request to Jesus. And Jesus granted permission for their request. Now, how much more will he grant us when we ask for certain things? If the demons will ask and he gives them permission, what makes you think that he ain't going to give you permission or grant you certain things that you need in your life? More than this man being freed, I think this is a, a more of a story for us because a lot of times we're scared to ask for certain things or, you know, we don't really believe that God will do it. Well, if God freed a single man of 3,000 demons, he will take care of my family. He will take care of my finances. He will help me get through all the hard times. But it's a matter of me asking him or imploring him, like, please help me. And so I think that's the bigger part of the story. So the man gets freed. The demons go into the swine, the swine jump off the side of the hill. And then in 14, the herdsmen came and they, they run into the city and they see Jesus. And then the people start telling them what happened. They're not really even concerned about the man that got freed. They're concerned that 2,000 pigs just drowned. They valued pigs more than they valued a man that had 3,000 demons. Because now you're cutting into my finances. I don't really care about your healing. I just lost 2,000 swine. And that's kind of how it is a lot of times in the world. I don't care that you got healed. Like, just don't mess with my stuff. Now, the value of a pig probably wasn't that much back then. Even if it was a dollar, that's $2,000 I just lost. Because you got healed. 
So they tell Jesus, go on, get out of here, right? Go home to your people. So he tells them, go home to your people and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So then the man went to Decapolis and he proclaimed the news. Decapolis was a huge region. Later on in the story, you'll see that Jesus went to Decapolis. So the man that got healed and set free from 3,000 demons goes to a place in front of Jesus and tells people about Jesus before Jesus even gets there. That's a setup. You've got, I mean, imagine like Decapolis being Greensboro, but right now they're over here in Jamestown. They're, they're over here in a little spot not many people hang out at. So the guy gets healed and he goes to Greensboro downtown and starts telling people about what the man did for him. And that's kind of what happened. He was on the outskirts. Nobody's going to go visit a graveyard, right? Except this guy. He lived there. <laughs> but when he got healed, Jesus said, go ahead and tell everybody what I did for you. So he goes in front of him. And then we get over. I want to I want to transition. No, the guy just went. I'd imagine it was a small area, and that was the first place. Because you gotta, you gotta remember anybody that in the in the in that time, the religious laws kept you from being in certain places, which we're about to we're about to get into. Um, any kind of leprosy or any kind of bodily fluids or anything like that, you could not go into a city. They would actually make you stay outside of the city. And that's where the beggars and people that got alms and stuff like that was. So he really wasn't even allowed to go in the city. So I imagine if I get here at 3,000 days, first place, I'm going to the city. Because I ain't never been. I haven't ever been able to go. <clears throat> so the next story we get into is the, the woman with the blood issue. We're going to spend a lot of time here. Because there's a lot of stuff and it's, 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 really, it's really good stuff. Um... And we're going to we're going to dig deep just in this portion. Uh, so when you read the portion of scripture in Mark chapter five, where the woman. A woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Bleeding. Internally, externally, all of it. And she endured much at the hands of the physicians. And she spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she grew worse. So this woman had an issue for 12 years, an issue of blood. And for 12 years, she went to all these doctors and she spent everything that she had and didn't get any help. And so she was out of options. She was out of. I mean, eventually you get tired of going to the doctors if none of them are doing anything, especially if you go for 12 years and you're still the same, not even the same. Actually, you grow worse. You just give up on the fact that doctors are even a, a, a chance to be fixed. But in verse 28, I'm gonna, we're going to stay on verse 28 for a little while. It says, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Now, there's some, some things in the Bible about garments that maybe a lot of you don't, don't know. Maybe you do know. If you know, great. We're going to talk about it again. Um. But the Jewish apparel was a big deal. There's a verse in, in, I don't remember where it is, it's in the gospel, but Jesus says that to the Pharisees that you make your tassels long, okay? 
And I know that doesn't bear much significance when you just read it as, well, you make your tassels long. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of significance there, right? But there's various passages in the Bible that refer to an individual touching the hem of his garment. Um, some of these accounts are found in Matthew 9:20. the same story here. Suddenly a woman who had a blood issue, uh, Matthew 14, 36, and they begged him that he might only touch his garment. And as many as them touched it were made perfectly well. So you've got the lady with the blood issue, and then you've got another section in Matthew where a lot of people were asking to touch it, right? And it just so happens that it was all the people that wanted to touch his hem happened after the lady with the blood issue. So they knew there was something going on with the hem of his garment. So now all of them want to do it, right? And that's Matthew 9 is the woman and Mark 5 and Matthew 14 is the group of individuals that wanted to do it. So the word hem actually means fringe, tassel, or the border of a garment. So in Numbers 15, 38 through 9, it says, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry, which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined to do and that you remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. So the word zitzit, T-Z-I-T, T-Z-I-T, is the actual Hebrew word for a tassel. Now, the mantle is a covering. So when you hear somebody say that they they have a mantle of this or a mantle of that, it's, it's literally a covering. So like if somebody says, and you'll hear it, you'll hear it sometimes, but they'll say you have a mantle of worship. Or praise and worship. That means they have a covering of praise and worship. Meaning when they praise and worship, they are covered. That, that's like their sweet spot, right? <coughs> but imagine taking a rectangle square and cutting a hole in it and then sewing a hood on it. And that's, you got two corners in the front and two corners in the back. It's like a rain jacket, like a cloak. Each corner had to have a tassel on it and the tassel had to have a blue thread through it. Now, later on, it developed that they would write prayers around the tassel. On the hymns, there would be a certain prayer that got them through, and the tassel with the blue string, the blue in the thread meant royalty, because blue in that time, like now we've got generics. I mean, that hat right there is blue. You've got blue jeans. You've got a blue shirt on. It's easy to make water down dives now. Back then, it was not that easy. You had to take 30,000 of a specific type of snail, pull the snail out, press them, and that's how you got blue dye. And it took a long time to do that. So the blue, it signified that there was some money involved. That's why I said one blue thread. So you've got four pieces of blue thread. The tassel was only about this long. And I know none of this really it matters to your to your natural mind, but in the spiritual, it actually does matter. 
Everything that God says matters, right? So the mantle of the time was a long rectangular cloth that was draped over the body. It had four corners at the bottom, and the Israelites were to attach tassels to the four corners of their garment and the hem, the garment in blue. So over time, the style changed, and instead of the four corners, it became more rounded at the bottom. Due to no longer having the four corners, the Israelites developed what they call a talit. The Orthodox Jews today, uh, or of that day, wore it, but a lot of them still wear it today. So when the woman of the, with the blood issue touched the hem of his garment, she actually reached out and touched one of those tassels. Right, because in your mind, in my mind, a hem is like you hem your pants. You roll it up and you sew it. But a hem then was the tassel. We don't wear tassels anymore. But the tallit also it it's doubled as a prayer shawl, right? So you remember in Matthew chapter six, verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward uh, will reward you openly. So. The shawl, the prayer shawl or the talit was actually your prayer closet. It's not it's not creating a room in your house. It's not making this special place where you just go and you pray. It's actually putting a hoodie on, flip the hoodie up and block everything out. Right. That doesn't mean you can wear hoodies in chapel with your hood up. All right. But the purpose for that was. If, if you've got a hoodie, like Hunter's got a hoodie on, right now he's focused on everything going on up here. He can hear what's going on over here. But as soon as he puts his hood on and he looks down, he's no longer focused on what's around him. That's his closet. He's closed everything off, and now he's in a position to where he can just focus on what God's saying and prayer. Right? Yeah. It takes It blocks everything out. Now it's just you and him. And so in Matthew 6, it says, when you pray, go into your room, throw your hood up. And when you shut the door, block everything off that you can see in your mind. Then you pray to your father who's in the secret praise. So let's look at some Old Testament references after this um, for the hem of the garment. So in the Old Testament, there's, there's a couple of different places. David actually cut off Saul's garment, right? Y'all remember that story? It's in 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 22. Uh, But verse 4 says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver you into the hand of your enemy, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So when David spared Saul's life, he took away the evidence in showing that Saul actually had the power to kill him. He took all the power that Saul had because at that point in time, he could have killed him. If you remember, David actually cried after he did that. He was really upset. And the reason he was upset was because David knew that wasn't his time yet. But the man was trying to kill him. David actually spared him. But in reality, Saul still had authority over David. And so when David cut the corner of Saul's garment off, he took all of his authority away. So no longer does Saul have authority over David, but now David has authority over Saul because he spared his life. And in reality, 
in the spiritual, he went against the authority of the one that was over him, which is what made him upset. But you can read it as he just cut the, the corner of his thing off. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> so David had just robbed Saul of his status. And the friends of his robe that have identified him as a king. So the hem of the garment at this point was also a decorative feature which made a statement about the status or the importance of the person wearing it. Jesus, in fact, rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 5, says that they make their tassels or their zizis broad and enlarge the border of their garments. They were trying to magnify their own importance. The Pharisees were not as important as Caesar. So what they did is they just decided one day, well, I'm just going to make it bigger so everybody can, ooh, look what I do. You know, one of those deals. But it was meant for a reminder of all the commandments of the Lord, and that's Numbers 15.39. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul actually rips the tassel of Samuel's garment. Samuel rebuked Saul for failing to kill the... Remember, we we watched that on the uh, the Bible story. Remember that? Where he goes in and, and Samuel says, when you go in, kill everything. Don't leave anything living. And he didn't. He put slaves in a cage and he left some lambs and stuff. And <clears throat> so Saul actually reached out to stop him. And in doing so, he ripped the authority from Samuel's garment. Samuel used this as a picture of what God was actually going to do to the kingdom of Israel. Um, Elijah had a mantle. When Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha was given Elijah's mantle. This could possibly be the outer garment that he used to wear. Um, there's more references to the garments, but the hem of the garment, what can we learn about the hem of the garment as a believer? That's what's important. It's good to have knowledge of the name of this and the name of that and who did what, but like, what can we learn as individuals about the hem of a garment? So we can learn a lot as believers based on the story in Mark chapter five about the woman with the blood issue. Um, according to Leviticus 15, 19, 25, and 27, it says, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. Shall She shall be unclean. Whoever touches those shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. So according to the same account in the Gospel of Mark, this lady had 12 years worth of uncleanliness. 12 years. And not only that, like I said, she went to every doctor in the area. She went to every physician in the area. She went everywhere that she could go and spent every single dollar that she had 
And inside of herself, she even contemplated the fact that if I touch him, he will be considered unclean. There's no way that she did not consider that. Because according to the law, this Jewish woman knew the law, but she knew that if she touched anybody, they were considered unclean. And then not only were they unclean, but they had to be separated from the common good. So she's she spent all her money. She's went to every extent she could. She's contemplated whether or not she should touch Jesus. And then she actually goes out of her way and said, I don't care what happens because I know that if I just touch the fringe or the hem of his garment, I will be made well. By the law, she'd been, she'd been unclean for 12 years. Can you imagine being unclean for 12 years? Whether you had, you might have had a family, you might have had kids, you might have had a good life, and then all of a sudden, now you've got blood issues. You can't see your family, you can't touch your kids, you can't hug your kids, you can't be around your husband anymore. You're pretty much outcast. You're set outside of the city and you have nothing else to do with anybody. So there was a lot of internal factors that were going on with this lady. It was more than she just wanted to get well. It was more than she just wanted to get clean. There was a lot of things, a lot of good things that could have came out of this. And so by her being in the position that she was in, it activated faith in her to step outside of her natural mind and step outside of the laws of rules and religion and all that and say, you know what? I'm going to die anyways. Why not go ahead and try it? She was the only one that was smart enough. She didn't even want to hug Jesus. She didn't want to high five him. None of that. She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch a little bit, a little piece of what he's wearing, I'm good. And then it says that Jesus realized that power left him. The faith that had been built up in her to just touch her, to, to just touch Jesus's garment was so great. And she.